Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another Tuesday night live here at the Serious Angler Network. Um, we appreciate everybody tuning in. As you can see, it is my mug today. Bailey is in Florida having a grand old time on the Bienville, down in Bienville, catching a bunch of largemouth. Well, I'm stuck up here where it's about five degrees, snowing, and very windy. It's uh, quite miserable. So today we have an awesome guest on. We have Trevor Lowe on from uh, Minnesota, who is a smallmouth guide on Mille Lacs Lake. As you know, he um, was the college uh, champion there in 2015, qualified for the Classic. So we're going to talk about that a little bit and just get to know him. So as always, too, if you have questions, make sure you file them in so we can get Trevor to answer them, whatever you guys want to know. Um couple things coming up. Fantasy Fishing Live with myself, Bailey. Deacon and Bart, we believe will be going lives on Thursday, right, be, right before the St. John's event. So make sure you guys get in on that. If you haven't, um, go to the Bassmaster.com, the fantasy fishing page, and get in the group. We have a lot of great giveaways going on. Uh, I know Omnia is throwing in a gift card, I do believe, and all of our other sponsors are tagging in on that as well. So you can win a lot of cool prizes if you uh, beat us out and come in the top place. Um, so make sure you get in on that fantasy fishing group. And without further ado, let's get uh, Trevor on here and get to know him a little bit. Hey, Trevor, how you doing tonight, man? Good, man. How are you doing? Good. You staying warm over there in Minnesota? Yeah, it's like minus two right now, but I'm inside and I'm cozy. It's fantastic. <laughs> I feel your pain. Yeah. I um I had to take my garbage out this morning because I was running late and the garbage yeah. truck was coming down the street. And I think I went out in shorts and a t-shirt and it was mm. negative one and yep. snowing. So I was like, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So um, do you ice fish it all over there? Just no. real quick. Um, I mean, I'll get out with friends and, and stuff, but like, I don't have the gear for it. It's just, it's a, it's a whole nother investment. And I just, I hate, sitting in front of a hole and just digging up and down you know i'd rather be casting i am the same exact way i used to fish for a little bit and i was like this ain't this is not fun at all i'd rather be chasing a steelhead on our frozen creeks but it's it's a little too cold for that right now so um yeah it's not fun i i can't stand winter i wish i could become a snowboard a snowbird but i don't think my wife would ever let us move down south So (laughs) I got all my buddies that are running down to Florida right now and catching seven, eight, nine pounders. And I'm just here with the boat in storage and twiddling my thumbs, you know? So, right. So when can you actually start getting out? Well, um, certain parts of the Mississippi are open year round. Um, and depending on if it's frozen or not, um, backwaters have a tendency to freeze. Mm -hmm. Um, but main, I don't, I can't really recall if the Mississippi fully freezes. I don't believe certain parts of it does, but um, other areas don't. We have a stretch of river uh, here in Minnesota on the Mississippi that has a uh, power plant Mm -hmm. and it it pushes out hot water. So with it doing that, you can fish it year round, um, even in the cold. But like I said, you know, when it's below freezing, your guides are freezing and your reels are freezing and the drag starts to, you know, just get stuck the whole time. And it, it, it just gets more of a hassle to fish than, than it's enjoyable. So. 
quick uh, steelhead mm. fishing tip here for frozen guides. There's a company out there called Stanley. I don't know if you know about this, but they make an ice off paste that mm. you can put on your guides the night before. Yeah. So like with the heat and the convection and stuff, it warms it up. And all you have to do is like flick your rod and all yeah. the ice will come off your guides. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I put it, it on like my Yeah, you can put it on like your line right above the lure and stuff so it doesn't freeze when you pull it out of the water and okay. keep casting. It it helps cool. a little bit. Like if you're fishing in like negative five to eight degrees, it's oh, not, not gonna help. That cold, yeah. yeah, but if it's sunny out, like you won't get any ice issues at all. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. So I think it comes in like a little black jar about this big and it's Stanley? like seven bucks. Stanley. Yeah. Okay. So um, when we get off here, I'll send you what nice. it is. I'll send you a pic. Cool. So, yeah. So uh, let's digress a little bit and we'll jump into your uh, sure. fishing history. So talk about like your intro into fishing, maybe who got you into it. Yeah. Your first fish catch, first bass catch. When yeah. was it? Um. So obviously my dad's the one who introduced me to fishing. Um, a lot of people are introduced to fishing by their, by their fathers. And yeah, it was no different for me. Um, but I mean, we grew up pan fishing, you know, a lot of, uh, so my ethnic background, I'm Hmong and a lot of Hmong people, they, when they immigrated from Laos, they come here and they fish and it's fishing for food, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of crappie, a lot of white bass, that whole deal. And I mean, even, some of the older generations, they still keep bass that uh, they catch. Um, obviously, we are more catch and release now. Um, but, yeah, I grew up fishing that way. And I think I was like 15 or so. And I, I was dating this girl at the time. And her uncle was the one who uh, took me out on a, in a first pickup tournament, my first pickup tournament. And I was on the Mississippi. It was cold. It was early season. And. And I think that's kind of what got me hooked on the tournament bug, you know, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, from there, you know, watching the Elite Series and those guys, and it's just like, man, I would love to do that, you know. And, mm -hmm. and so when you catch that that tournament bug, it's just like, that's all I want to do, you know. Fun fishing's great and all, but, man, I want to go and compete, you know, just being on the clock. You know, every every decision you make affects, you know, the outcome of the day. So, yeah, that's how I got started into into fishing i guess so do you remember in that first tournament like anything specific about it that got you like hooked was there like a certain bait you were throwing that was oh. like wow this is incredible no i mean it that was a tough bite i mean it was cold it was early season i think it was like april um here in minnesota that's cold you know water mm -hmm. water temperatures are just in the 40s still um and river fishing uh the mississippi the Mississippi on its own is tough. Um, and then if you're fishing in 40 degree water, you know, you're trying to get into that backwater off the riprap and stuff like that so that you can find some warmer water. Mm -hmm. uh, those riprap tend to hold the heat a little bit better, but um, you know, it was just, it was a slow, slow day. But I think the thing that really did it for me was that first weigh in where, you know, prior to, prior to that first tournament, you never have that, uh experience seeing a guy just dump a a limit of fish you know right in your face and there's like 20 pounds of fish and you're just like holy cow you know like you caught so, that today in the freezing right? cold how right the... <laughs> yeah and they're all big ones you know and so yeah. um yeah i think that's probably what it was i mean i i remember you know it was a it was a tough bite i think we we might have had four fish mm -hmm. you know for a five fish limit and 
Uh, but no, it was, uh, like I said, it was my first tournament and I was barely into fishing and I don't, I don't even remember if I contributed to the bag. I might've caught one fish. But... <laughs> Probably like yeah. a crappier perch or something. Yeah. Right. So, so now let's kind of walk forward. Let's walk through your tournament timeline from that yeah. day. What, what was like the first, besides that one, what was the biggest memorable tournament? Mem- uh, I am stumbling over my words here. What is the biggest uh, part of tournament fishing from there to your college days that made you stick with it? Like, was there a memorable win? Like, was there a couple of tournaments where you're like, wow, I can actually do this and hang with these guys? Um, I don't think there was, you know, uh, aside from, I think even to this, to this day, minus a few like small little, pickups i haven't won anything serious you know mm-hmm. besides the college deal and um, which is pretty I, serious right? yeah <laughs> uh, and i think i think my my reason for getting into college fishing was because growing up i played soccer you know mm-hmm. and um i remember t- always talking to my parents about you know i'd love i want to get into fishing and my dad would always be like well there's there really isn't anything there's no like junior level fishing at the time there wasn't you know there was no high school level fishing there was no uh, traveling fishing soccer or fishing team, you know? And so, um, that was always my drive just to be able to do it in, uh, and I guess a extracurricular sense, you know? Um, and so, um, just, just that opportunity to get into college is really what fueled me, uh, to, to compete in the college series. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was like any tournament that really stuck out because like I said, at that time, um, I had just, I bought my first boat when I was, uh, when I just graduated high school and it was like a 16 foot, 90 horsepower Skeeter, you know? Fantastic. Yeah. Which, I mean, I got it for like 3,500 bucks, you know? Can't beat that um, at all. Yeah. And it, <laughs> it was like dream come true for me. You know, I, growing up, we, we always just fish out of a canoe, you know? And so, uh, whenever I got to, got a chance to be on a boat, I mean, and then to own my own at 18 years old, you know, I felt like I was on top of the world. So and all of your like, buddies and family members at their point were like, we got to get rid of these canoes and we got to go with Trevor, <laughs> yeah. go get some fish. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. at the time, like a 14 foot Lund, you know, with a little 20 horse Johnson on it was like, man, this is, this is great. You yeah. know? So they're like, I'm smoking you guys now with, right. uh, with my best, but I remember my first boat. It was uh, what was it? It was a Ranger four sixty one VS. I think it was like a nineteen eighty eight, and I bought it off this guy. Same thing for like three grand. It had a one fifty yeah. on it, so you know, you I went from like a piece of crap canoe, basically, like it was leaking, fishing with my uncle all sure. the time. I only know how it was leaking, but it leaked like yeah. it was wild. And um, I get in this bass boat, and the front deck wasn't even like a traditional front deck. It mm-hmm. was like moldy rotten wood that he replaced the front deck on i'm like this thing's <laughs> awesome i'm like stepping through the rod lockers as i'm fighting fish yeah that was uh that was an interesting boat but uh caught a lot of fish in it learned sure. a lot of lessons broke the motor a few times like yeah. just it was a perfect learning boat yeah and i'm sure you could say the same thing about that skeeter you almost yeah. didn't care if you put it through the ringer because you're like ah, the next one i'll take better care of it yeah I tell you that that first boat that I had, like it was such a learning curve because I was like, I didn't even know what like 
what pound thrust trolling motor I needed. Yeah. I didn't know what a 24 volt system was for the trolling motor. I didn't know that, you know, you have a separate cranking battery that runs your electronics and starts the motor compared to the trolling motor. Yeah. Um, you know, like I didn't know that the winch, the strap to winch down in the boat goes underneath the deal instead of just going directly to it, you know, just to <laughs> keep it pinned to the trail. I mean, all sorts of stuff, you know, and, uh, I mean, the prop was aluminum. It wasn't even a stainless steel prop. And I remember I busted an ear off, you know, power yeah. loading it. Learning how to power load was like the biggest challenge to me because, you know, growing up, it's like you see people and they grab the rope and they start pulling it. They're, they're getting in the water and they're just pulling yeah. it up the trailer, you know, and I'm just like, I don't even know how to power load, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually like an interesting learning curve that a lot of people don't think about, like, mm-hmm is learning how to power load just because you have to line the boat up specifically like yep. very specific to get on that trailer and if you have wind forget about it or right. a bunch of uh what we call certified captains out there in the the lawn trips today where yes. they're both sideways and they're pulling mm-hmm. out of the water and they're yelling at each other like um by far the best boat ramp i've ever been to is the one in buffalo it's like nine ten lanes wide now sure there's five and each one of them, they have ins and outs and jet skiers will like cut people off and dump their boats in on the inside. And everybody's yelling at each other. Never go there on a Saturday at 2 PM in the middle of summer. It's sure. the worst idea you'll ever make. Yeah. And I'm sure you see that on Mille Lacs. You know, Mille Lacs is not terrible. Uh, it's, it's terrible on Tonka. Mm-hmm. Minnetonka is just Saturday, Sunday, Friday evening, Saturday, Sunday, just avoid that lake. You know, unless, I mean, so we fish a tournament trail called Denny's and it's, uh, it's like the first or second Monday of every month. And, uh, we have to practice, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday leading up to it. And I mean, the guys, we get out there at 5 AM and you're probably off the water by 10 30, just because the boat really? traffic is just unreal. And there's no courtesy, there's no etiquette whatsoever from recreational boaters. No, not one of the ones that uh, I always think back on. I don't know if you've watched like the Cayuga Lake, Greg Hackney, and he's like, mm-hmm. I, I know he's not fixing a run between me and the shoreline where he's fishing. Yeah, he yeah. Just, like looks back and looks at the camera and like catches a giant right afterwards. It's like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, northern boat life, I guess. Yeah, and no offense to like pleasure boaters, a lot of them just don't know. Yeah, it's ignorance. Going on. So yeah, like yeah, and and some of it's ignorance, and some of it's just plain they don't understand like the rules of the waterways. So yeah, and yeah, you can yell at them, but the worst the worst part about it is if you yell at them, they're probably drunk and they're going to yell at you twice as bad back. So yep. I just laugh and deal right. with it as you can. So Nothing um, you can do about it. So now we're skipping from your first boat, the Skeeter with the 90 horse. Yeah. Take us on that progression and then into the college fishing tournament series, your that win to qualify for the classic. Let's yeah. kind of go in that realm now. So Yeah. So um I graduated high school, bought that boat, had it for a couple of years, maybe one or two years. And then um, you know, I was working at the time and I didn't fish college until so Here's the thing. My freshman year of college, I, I went to the U of M and I reached out to the guy that was running the club at the time. 
And I, and I said to him, I said, Hey, you know, I'm a new incoming freshman. I would love to get involved with the team. And, um, you know, what, what do I have to do to, you know, get, get involved, be part of the team, fish tournaments, yada, yada, yada. And <laughs> to this day, man, I, I remember word for word what he said. And he goes, well, there's really no real way to join the team, but you can go like our Facebook page. And, Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay. You know, that's lame. And so like, I was so deflated, you know what I mean? Cause I was like, I had three college choices. I got accepted in, into Virginia Tech, North Carolina State, and uh, U of M, you know, and I, I narrowed my college search down to my major, which at the time was fisheries and wildlife. And then on top of that, it was which team, which schools had fishing teams, mm-hmm. you know, and I think during that, well, that year would have been like 2012 or 2013, Virginia Tech was number one or two and NC State was like number one or two or something like that yeah. nationally ranked. And so I got into all three schools, but then, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a Christian, you know, I wanted to stay with my church, you know, and, and so then I decided to just, you know, let's just go to my backup school, which is the U of M and then made that decision. Um, and then I just got, you know, blown off by this dude and I was so like deflated and I was like, man, I don't even know if I want to fish college, you know? And I was like, if this is how it is and that's lame, you know? And so what ended up happening is I, uh, I went there for, I went to the U of M for a year. Uh, and then I transferred out to a small community college. And then I went to a small community college for a year. I bought another boat. I was working and saving money and I bought another boat and I finally, I finally got a 20 footer, you know, it was a 2008 uh, Skeeter ZX 225 with a 225 Yamaha HPI. And, uh, and just out of, just out of the blue, I, I, was like, I wonder how this, like in the back of my head, I'm like, I hope this college kid that was fishing, you know, I hope he just bombed every single tournament just because of the way he blew me up, yeah. you know? And so, um, <clears throat> he, uh, he had transferred out and so I'm like, Oh, there's a new guy running it. So then I reached out to the new guy, which was Chris Bergen, who ended up being my fishing partner in college. I said, Hey, you know, um, I, I reached out in the past, you know, I'd love to get involved yada, yada, yada. I got my own boat. I want to know how I can start fishing tournaments for the U of M, you know? And he goes, yeah, why don't you come to our tournament meeting or our, our team meeting at the beginning of the year and, and we'll, uh, we'll talk and we'll figure everything out. So Chris and I ended up fishing that year together. And, um, so long story short, our first tournament was, uh, FLW. It was their mm-hmm. college open. It was the first time they were ever having one. It was 2015 and, uh, it was down in Kentucky Lake. And so I take this boat that I got, I just bought the year before and we go down there, we drive down to Kentucky, you know, I'm getting my first taste of, you know, reservoir fishing, you know, never seen water deeper than 80 feet in my life, you know, and ledges and yada, yada, yada backs of creeks, you know, main channels and this and that. Um, in practice, I blew my, I blow my lower unit on a, a house foundation. Right. Ouch. And on top of that, um, we had like three footers in, in the, in, in the lake. And I mean, it wasn't anything terrible, you know, it was like three footers and I put the boat back on the trailer and I looked down the hull and the entire like hull is just cracked from front to back on the port side of the boat. And I mean, like, so if this is like the length of the boat, it's like vertical crack, 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 crack under the, where the top cap meets the, the hull, you know, yeah, it's under the rub rail. 
the whole thing just cracks all the way down. And I'm talking like big cracks, not just fiberglass, like like cracks you could like slip a credit card through. Oof. You know? And so like first tournament, you know, I and so that was like two days before we blew the lower unit, right? So I'm calling my dad and I'm just crying my eyes out because I'm like, Dad, I just spent like twenty thousand dollars on this boat, you know, my first tournament, the boat's destroyed. You know, I don't even know what I did. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I did anything wrong. There's no way that three footers could just beat up a boat that bad. Yeah. You know, if, if it's in good condition or at least in uh drivable condition. And so call my dad, I'm 12 hours from home crying my eyes out. And my dad's like, you know what, Trev, just uh, keep your chin up and, you know, just make the most out of it, you know? And, and then, like two days later, blow the lower unit. It's <laughs> like great, thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dude, this can't get any worse, you know. And um, so we ended up fishing that tournament. We just fished the first day. We had a trolling motor. That's all we could do. So we just stayed right around the marina, and we just fished. And we weighed two fish for like seven pounds. And uh, came back, didn't even fish the second day. And uh, what you would call it turns out long story short that boat was lemon you know Mm -hmm. uh original owner had it totaled it insurance took it from him totaled it out they sold it to a guy who covered up the damage and then traded it in through another dealer through consignment sold it to the guy that i bought it from wow so it was just a mess and i mean i had to go through so many hoops and hurdles just to try to figure out where this boat came from you know, who are the previous owners? Is there any structural damage? Is there any reports of accidents? Yada, yada, yada. And so turns out that boat was a lemon, right? And um, I said, screw it. We're going to fish with it. You know, it doesn't, it takes in water, but, you know, we're not sinking. So, um, so yeah, from there, Chris and I, we we fished uh, Bassmaster College Series. And our regional qualifier was in lacrosse. Mm-hmm. And, uh Familiar, mm-hmm. familiar waters at least uh in, in a sense yeah, yeah. I, i'd never fished lacrosse prior to that and um i mean i fished in mississippi up in like pool four or five but never seven eight nine you know mm-hmm. and so fishing down lacrosse um i think there's like 80 something teams and the top 13 qualify for nationals and we took 13th place <laughs> and so i think we squeaked in by like five ounces or something like that this is where the good fortune starts turning right. around. It sounds like, right? So, yeah, <laughs> got and a so, leaky boat, uh, pressure cracks all over the hall, yeah, and you squeeze into the natties. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, squeezing in the natties, and uh, man, Stevens Point, Wisconsin, Lake Dubay. I think we had five days of practice. We caught two fish. You know, <laughs> and I'm just like, dude, this sucks. You know, <laughs> and I remember. Uh, we went to the the tournament meeting, and uh, Hank Weldon, uh, if you're familiar with Hank, he was running the college series at the time, and Hank comes in the room. We're in this auditorium, and all the teams are in there, and Hank goes, so guys, how's the fishing been? And everybody just looks at each other. We all just start laughing because it's been so bad. Yeah. And um, so Chris and I, that night, we uh, we reached out to Hank, uh, after like the, the tournament dinner or whatever they put on for us. And uh, there was a dam in the river 
big buoys that say, you know, keep out of the dam, yada, 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 you know? And so I, I, we talked to Hank, we're like, you know, are we able to fish that? And he goes, yeah, you can fish it. You just have to have your life jacket on that. Those buoys are there just for uh, liability purposes. Hmm. And so we're like, Oh, okay. You know? And uh, we hadn't practiced it at all in, in, uh, in practice leading up to the tournament. But um, day one of the tournament, we're fishing for like three hours, haven't even got a bite, you know, or like, yeah, this is, this is the way this tournament's going to go, you know, and like a quarter mile up the river is that dam. And we're like, we got to go try it out. So we, we run the boat up there. It's super shallow getting into it until you hit like that pool where all that backwash is yeah. in the dam. And um, 15 minutes, we had our limit you know, which is three fish. Right. And we're freaking out. We're like, Oh my God, there's more fish we've caught in a week. And (laughs) so uh, we get out of there. And then like, as soon as we pull out two more boats go in there, cause they're like, well, another boat just went in there. So maybe we can go in there. And then like an hour later, we get this mass text from bass masters. Like the dam is open for fishing. You must wear your life jackets. (laughs) And we're like, crap, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, day one, we fished, uh, we, we, I think we ended up in like fifth place or something like that after day one. And then, uh, on day two, they flipped the, the takeoff order. And so now we get up to the dam and there's like 10 boats in there. And I mean, it, it's, it's basically the dam is like, if you imagine the, the, the spot where all the boats are, is like a, a football field. If you go up mm-hmm. from the end zone to probably the 30 yard line. That's that's about the amount of space, and there's like ten boats in there, and Great. so like crap. So we just squeezed in. Everybody was lined up from right to left, so we just went all the way to left. You know, we took the last spot, I guess, and um, everybody's burning crankbaits, square bills, jerk baits, yada yada yada. And so I was like, man, we should finesse these fish. And so Chris pulled out a shaky head, and I pulled out a drop shot, and we caught three fish in like ten minutes, and we got out of there, and then uh, ended up in. I think fourth place after the second day and they cut it down to the top five. And then uh, we fished that dam by ourselves the whole day and we only caught two fish on the third day. Uh, and we ended up in second place yeah. for, for the nationals. But, and then from there was a bracket tournament, you know, and win going to the next day. So I, I fished won the first day, won the second day and third day won the, won the whole thing. All up at the dam. Um, so they moved us to, they south. moved us one pool south gotcha. for the uh, bracket tournament, which was much better fishing, but it's good. Yeah. So now let's, uh, so you win the bracket challenge, right? Yeah. And you're like, wow, I just qualified for the classic. Mm-hmm. What was the emotions like? And then kind of talk about your classic mm-hmm. experience as almost like from what I'm understanding, it was kind of like an outsider that got in. Yeah. Through some grace of good luck and some Absolutely. hard work. Yeah. You know, um, that's, I, I couldn't have put it any better than you just did. Um, when you, when I qualified, it was, it's funny. I was, so my, my now wife, I was just beginning to talk to her when we, uh, when I was fishing that college tournament and, uh, she came to, to, uh, to the weigh-ins. And when I won, uh, the bracket tournament, I got on stage and I mean, it was just like, it's been like nine, 10 straight days of fishing up at four in the morning, you know, and you're grinding and grinding and so hard to even catch a fish. There's so much stress. And then you finally win and, and you get on stage and nothing but just tears, you know, you can't mm-hmm. even talk. And <laughs> my wife tells me to this day, like when she was there, she's like, 
this dude's weird. Like, this isn't even <laughs> that big of a deal. I don't know why this guy's crying. He only won 7,500 bucks, you know? Yeah. And uh, to this, like, now she understands, you know? But, yeah. Like, to her, to an outsider, she's just like, it was weird. There's only, like, 30 people out the way in because there's only two more competitors on the last day, you know? Yeah. And, um, but it was, uh, it's, it was incredible, man. I tell you, uh, like you said, you know, it's just, uh, a stroke of good luck. And, you know, I think everything just, just lined up correctly, um, for that to, for that to happen. Um, and like I said, I, I, I told, I told people when I was on stage at the classic, the classic was the 12th tournament I fished in my lifetime, which wow. is unreal Yeah, you know, to go from 11 tournaments, boom, classic, you know, and I mean, some guys, they fish hundreds of tournaments and they've never made a classic. You know? Talk about a torrent pace to get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's literally zero to a hundred. Yeah. Know? And yeah, I mean, I didn't catch a fish at the classic, you know, which, you know, I get, I get crap for it, but I don't care. You know, I mean what, what was I to expect? You know, it's the 12 tournament I fished in my life up until then I had never even fished outside of Minnesota and Wisconsin, you know? And so then I go, or I guess Kentucky Lake. Yeah. But then, um, I go down to Grand Lake, you know, which is a great fishery. It really is. Um, I spent time down there, but that winter record flooding, you know, record flooding. Uh, so by the time the classic rolls around, you've got 40 low 40 degree water chocolate milk and it's up like eight feet you know and so it's just when you're coming from minnesota and i'm sure you have it on erie too the water's so clear mm-hmm. everything is clear everything when you get, when you get into the mud you struggle mm-hmm. you know and as a kid who has uh never experienced even fishing anything remotely dirty i was like lost completely lost couldn't figure out how to piece anything together, you know, and I mean, you do what they tell you in the textbooks, you know, Oh yeah. Throw a Colorado blade spinner bait, you know, go throw a chatter bait, go, uh, work a jig, a black and blue jig, go, go throw a wiggle wart, yada, yada, shad wrap, everything, you know, but unless you really know how to do it, you know, it's just kind of like, this is what they say to do. So go try to do it. Or the very specific thing that they, yeah that they're on that you've never experienced in yep. your lifetime. It it's, mm-hmm. had to be such like a surreal feeling to like, and I'm not going to say, I'm not trying to sound like harsh or mean here, but it almost feels like if I was in your situation going into that and I haven't really fished anything outside of New York, I'd be lost. Yeah. 100%. Like you're just like, this is a massive lake. It's flooded. It's chocolate milk. Yeah. I'm doing all these techniques. I've never even thought about fishing because I'm only in my 12th tournament. Like, yeah what the heck i'm just exactly. at that point i would be just like you yeah, i was i am happy to be here this is the coolest thing in the world for sure Thank yeah you, God. Mean, right yeah i mean you you do what you can and that's all you can do you know yeah. i mean you go into the tournament and you've got like 12 rods you know these guys have like 40 rods in their boats you know 40 different and another spots. 100 in the truck <laughs> yeah and then another 100 in the truck and you're here broke college kid you know not even getting rods from a, a company or nothing like that. No crazy sponsorship deals. And it's just, I'm still paying for my rods. I'm, I'm a broke college kid. And so I, I can afford 12 rods. I've got 12 setups. That's all I got, yeah. you know, and uh, three of them, four of them are spinning rods because we live in Minnesota, <laughs> you know? And so, um, 
Yeah, you know, you go in with such a uh, little fishing experience, tournament experience, especially when you're going against guys like Kevin Swindle, uh, uh, freaking Hackney, and Brandon Ponick, Aaron Martins, you know, Christie, and, and it's just like, really, you think you think the college kid that has no experience is really going to do all that great, you know? And and who knows, you know? But then again, it's uh, like you said, you know, completely lost, and um, it was just a matter of enjoy it you know you don't want to beat yourself up over it to the point where you can't even enjoy it and mm-hmm. the fact that you're there you know yeah and uh yeah so that was uh and, and funny enough edwin evers ended up winning that tournament and i don't know if you remember the, the third day of the tournament where he's chucking a jig in that clear water yeah and he whacked like 29 pounds or whatever or 27 or whatever it was i was a quarter mile from him because i was well in practice I went up there because I was like, oh, my gosh, the elk is – there's clean water in the elk, yeah. you know. And I went up there, and um, funny enough, if I would have went – so it was kind of a bend in the river. And I went, and I got right to the bend, and I saw that area, and I was like, oh, my God, there's trees. Like, I'm talking like trees, like yeah. completely fallen in the middle of the, the river channel. And I'm – like I said, I'm this young, inexperienced guy, and I'm like, I've got this brand-new boat from Skeeter. I don't want to, I don't want to damage it. You know, I don't know what that water looks like. You know, it's not really marked on like master or whatever. Yep. So, so I just turned around. Yep. You're like, yep, not for me. Yeah. I just turned around <laughs> and it turns out that was the winning spot in the tournament, you yeah. know? And it's just like, oh, well, it's not meant to be. Hey, you um, know, the experience, like just being there, like the entire aura of the class yeah. had to be surreal. So let me ask you this question. How was it? Being around all of those anglers, did they like talk to you? Were they more like gun shy? Like they're like, "Oh, who's this college kid coming in here? Who do you think he is?" Or were they all like super cool? But, like, hey man, like, did you tell them it was only your twelfth tournament ever? Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're all like, "What?" Like, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm curious on that. I feel like I feel like there's a guy that gets kind of a a rap a rap as a kind of like a a jerk. And that's Skeet Reese. Yeah. And man, I tell you what, he was the only guy that came up to me and introduced himself to me. Interesting. Surprisingly, you know, like going into the tournament, obviously everybody has their reputations and you hear stuff, a lot of hearsay. And uh, we ended up being on this bus going from, uh, so we had like media day. And obviously there are guys that you go and you introduce yourself to like, my last name is Lowe, so I was right next to Bill Lowen the whole time, yeah. and Jordan Lee, you know. And so um, on the bus ride back, I'm just sitting there by myself, you know, kind of observing all these guys that are like – Soaking my, it up. Yeah, my childhood superstars, you know. And and Skeet is like, hey, you're the college kid, right? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, hey, nice to meet you. I'm Skeet. What's your name? And I said, Trevor, you know, yada, yada. And yeah, Skeet was literally the only guy that um, – went out of his way to, you know, shake my hand. And obviously there are guys that I had met prior to that, you know, um, Brandon, mm-hmm. Brandon's a buddy of mine and yeah, he's, he's awesome. And so like we knew each other, but of the guys that were like, so before, before the classic, you fish a couple opens, you know, so the, the January tournament down in Florida and, and all the other ones. And so I met Brandon and I'd met some other guys. And so, I knew those guys, but of the guys that you hadn't met yet, you know, Skeet was the only one who 
went out of his way to introduce himself to me, you know. Um, but I, I will tell you, at the tournament meeting, it's it's pretty cool because everybody's sitting in there. But as soon as Kevin Van Dam walks in the room, it's like everybody knows Kevin Van Dam just walks into the room, you know. Does it like go quiet? It's like, it's almost like it's almost like there's a like a like a rush of wind that hits you. You know what I mean? It's like it's like, it's like an aura that he just has, you know. And he doesn't. Wild. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't try to like. Oh, here I am, you know. But it's like if Kevin steps in the room, everybody's like, "Oh, Kevin's here," you know. Uh, hey, hey, Kevin. Hi, 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 Mr. Van Dam. But uh, I think one of my favorite parts of that tournament was uh, morning takeoff, first day. And uh, Kevin was maybe four or five boats ahead of me, something like that, in takeoff order. And uh, the way they have us, so they have us lined up on these docks. And so then we, we reverse a little bit, and then we pull pull forward and we do like this swing around the shoreline for all the, the crowds that are there. And, uh, Kevin, Kevin, he makes this swing and like, he kills his motor and he stands and he goes, let's go. Right. And the whole crowd just blows up. And I'm just like, that's Kevin Van Dam. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. There's like 2000 so cool. people standing out there yeah. in the cold, you know, and he's just like, let's go. And like, Everybody just blows up. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. Yeah. Oh, that... I mean, they got choppers flying and like cameras and like all the local news and the choppers are flying. Like the water's being kicked up by the chopper blade. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah. holy cow, this is crazy. Like, so... Never, like, never expected to experience something like that so young in a tournament fishing yeah. career, right? Like, yeah. Oh. It's like That's every cool. bass fisherman's dream. I think it might be every bass fisherman's dream oh, to, man. to fish the classic and just to be there in yeah. that situation is just yeah. absolutely incredible. It's a really cool story. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh you can't really like put it into words like how how awesome that experience is. Yeah, and just being around like idols and everything, I can just imagine yeah. like the starstruckness. Me like yeah, whoa, <laughs> this is wild. And and you're with them almost like 24-7 for the four or five days leading up mm-hmm. to the tournament because there's so much that goes into it behind the scenes. The, all the media stuff. Um, we did this uh, children's hospital thing. Um, all the dinners, Night of Champions. You know, it's just, it's incredible, man. It's so cool. Yeah. I'm, I am slightly envious, but I don't know if I'd ever want to be in that situation because I can see myself just being like frozen, like just yeah. don't know what to say. And I'm a talker, so I'd be like, "This is so surreal." I, yeah. I feel like I would lose my mind for sure. So it, it's a place to. Uh, I don't even know how to like phrase it. It's just one of those. It's like a hallmark of the fishing industry, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody dreams of it, but it only comes true for so many. And it's so cool right. that you got to experience it so young in your fishing career. It's a story yeah. that possibly nobody else will be able to tell that I'm mm-hmm. like 12th tournament was the past master classic, <laughs> which is just wild to me. Right. So, um, man, that, that's so cool. Yeah. Like, and I mean, that's that's including like little tiny little pickup tournaments, you know. Yeah. Like these are like fifty dollar buy in tournaments. Like it's oh, not geez. even like sanctioned twelve sanctioned tournaments, you know. Wow. So 
crazy. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. So now, now we have Trevor guiding in yeah. Minnesota, right? Like, yeah. So I'm sure a little bit of this classic birth and college bracket winner probably like catapulted that a little mm-hmm. bit. So when did you start guiding? Um, I've been guiding for about three years now. Um, and a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it was after obviously the elite series came to Mille Lacs. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the Minnesota guys up here, we've known Mille Lacs has been good. Um, and it was kind of a, it was kind of a secret in a sense. Um, it definitely didn't have the notoriety as it does now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fishing is a lot tougher <laughs> now than it used to be. Um, but started guiding about three years ago and, um, I've enjoyed it. I mean, guiding, guiding, guiding can be fun. It can be rewarding seeing people catch fish, you know, uh, but obviously it, it has its own, uh, pressures to it. And I'm sure you understand that. Um, just, you know, you get into the zone where like, you know, you got to put people on fish. They're paying mm-hmm. you to put people, uh, they're paying you to put them on fish. And, uh, yeah, so there's that, there's that other facet of pressure, uh, that's a little different from tournament fishing, but nonetheless, it's still about you having to be on fish. Yeah. So let's dive into this a little bit. So you guide mostly on what? Two lakes, correct? Mill yep. and Tonga, Minotonga. Which, is, which is right in the Tri-City area. So the pleasure yep. boat traffic is got to yeah. be absolutely wild, right? Yeah. So is there specific times when you're guiding on one of one or the other lake or um, is it all based on client? Like, do you persuade people like, let's go up to Malax because it's going to be quieter. The fishing's a little tougher or like, are they just like, I want to catch smallies. So you go there and then the guys that want to go to Tonka are like, I want to catch some big old green heads. So let's yeah. go to Tonka. Like, how do you break that down with clients? Yeah. Um, I think anybody who fishes smallmouth know that middle of the summer can be difficult. Um, springtime is lights out, falls lights out. And, um, that's generally where, when I like to have my clients on Malax. um, Minnetonka shines in the dead of summer. Uh, you get that milfoil, you get the deep coon tail and those fish, they push offshore and they school up really good. And, uh, so if it's, if it's like the dead of summer, you know, you get those, dog days, you know, your Julys and your August and stuff like that. I try to get my clients out of Minnetonka if they're willing to. Um, obviously, there are people that come from out of state and they're in Minnesota to fish Mille Lacs. They're not there to fish Minnetonka. Uh, and so they have Airbnbs or they're they're staying up at a resort in Mille Lacs. So I'm not going to have them drive an hour and 40 to come fish Minnetonka, especially if they're from like Texas, you know, because they can go and catch fish. They can go catch largemouth down there. They want to come to catch uh, small mouth and relax. But, um, if it's a, if it's a Minnesota client, you know, um, I'll take them where they want to go. You know, I'll take them out wherever they want to go. But, uh, I personally prefer to do spring and fall on Malax and then summer, the middle of summer on Tonka. Fair enough. Um, so when you're getting into like, smallmouth fishing on Malax or Tonka with largemouth, like what are your go-to things to put in the client's hand, like technique wise, rod and, wheat, rod and reel, like kind of dive into that. So people know what they can expect from you if they do decide to book a yeah. trip with you. Yeah. So I have a policy where I don't use live bait. Um, I think a lot of us bass guys, you know, we stick to artificials. 
Uh, it will obviously be tougher than throwing live bait. Anybody can go drop a sucker minnow and Malax and catch four pounders, you know. Um, so when I'm when I'm up in Malax, you know, depending on the time of year it is, uh, springtime, obviously a Ned rig always comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't say that's the easiest thing for people to throw because so, and I'm sure you know, and a lot of people know, with a Ned rig, you know, you want to go with the lightest weight you can get away with and still fill the bottom and stay on the bottom. And that that can be challenging for people that have very little fishing experience. And you're going to get the full spectrum of experience in terms of uh, angling experience in your clients. You know, you'll yeah. have some people that have never thrown a rod before. And you have some people that think that, you know, they should be telling you where to go on the lake, you know. And so um, with a Ned rig, it can be challenging because, you know, you want them to throw an eighth ounce so that they don't get hung up in all the zebra muscles and they're not just breaking off every three casts. You know, but then some people have a hard time just letting it sit, yeah. you know, have a hard time um, shaking the line on slack, you know. And and uh, so what I really enjoy putting in people's hands is a paddle tail swim bait, you know. It's easy. Cast it's it easy. out and slow retrieve it. Exactly. You know, there's really no wrong way to fish it. I mean, you might sometimes you might fish it too high in the water column, but I don't ever think you can fish it too low. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Yeah. So yeah. I... That bite is so much fun, too, because the rod gets ripped out of the client's hands. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is, you know, there's no slack in the line, mm-hmm. generally, unless the fish just trucks, trucks the bait, you know. Um, and so, you know, when you're having people throw out a net rig and they just hold it like this, the wind's blowing. And they got a big bow in, bow in their line. And you're watching your braid because you have high-vis braid. You yeah, know, and it starts running off to the right. You're like, you're set like, it. Set the hook. And they set the hook on slack, and they don't know any better, yeah. or they just start reeling, you know. Um, well, reeling really quick might be better than hooking on slack. This is true. So. Yeah. But, and that's that's what I was saying. The, uh, the swim bait, the swim bait is so much easier. You know, it's mm-hmm. just chuck it out there, let it hit the bottom, and just start whining, you know. And you'll know when it's a fish because – and I, I tell my clients, you know, like if you feel it bump and it kind of has like a, a little pull back with the bump, that's a rock. But if you feel it bump and there's slack. Like it just, just goes mush and you lose all yeah. feeling. Yeah. Hit him. <laughs> yeah. You know, stick him or just keep reeling. Eventually <laughs> he's not going to let go of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's hungry. So, he's eating it for a reason. So yeah. now we're on Mille Lacs. Now what happens if you have to go to Tonka? Like. What what are you doing there as yeah. opposed to smallmouth fishing? So largemouth fishing is an entirely different animal. It is when guiding. Um, so on Minnetonka, we we fish grass. It's either we well, it's grass or it's rocks. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and uh, it's like I said, if you have clients that understand and know how to fish, you can put a bait caster in their hands. If they don't, <laughs> it's a drop shot. Uh, with a wacky Senko, it's a wacky Senko. It's a, <laughs> it's a, and you're going to hate me for having a medium heavy spinning rod, but a medium heavy spinning rod with a Texas rig, you know, why um, you got to do what you got to do. Like, I don't, yeah, I understand yeah, I completely. So like, yeah, not every person's going to know how to flip weeds with a bait caster. So you exactly. do the next best thing. Yeah. You, you tell them to pinch the line on the spinning rod, open the bail, and you can just flick their wrist. And exactly. It's the same motion. Pendulum swing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and 30-pound 30 30 pound braid on it on a spinning rod, you know. And so 
Um, but if, you know, if, if they're able to throw, oh, and a jig worm, if you're familiar with a jig worm. Yeah. It's like a Minnesota tried and true, um, which is it's essentially a big net rig is all it is. Um, and then if you're, if they're good with a, with a big caster, they're flipping a jig, you know, it's. Let's have some fun. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, you know, pull out the big sticks and crack them a little bit. So um, I like throwing a swim bait. I throw a big swim bait too. Um, slow roll it. So it's uh, kind of, you know, the, the fishing, the fishing is so good on Tonka. Like the boating traffic is ridiculous, but the fishing is really good. Um, there's the population of fishes is very healthy. Um, you're not going to go out there and whack 20 pounds every single day, but mm-hmm. you're definitely going to go catch 20 to 30, two and a half to three pounders. Sign me up. That sounds yeah. like a riot. It's, it's awesome, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely, you'll definitely run into fours and fives out there, but it's not like, generally speaking, you're not going to run into like a 20, 22 pound day every single time you're out there. Now on Tonka, do you find those four and five pounders tend to be grouped up or do you get all mixed fish classes all together? And then also it's like a random fiver and you're like, where'd you come from? Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, the, the thing that I've learned about Tonka just from fishing the, uh, the Denny's trail there, um, your big bites generally come in the morning, Mm -hmm. um, before all that boating traffic gets out there. And I don't know why that is, but it's, it's literally go hit your 10 best spots in the first two hours of the day. And if you don't catch one on in five casts move. And so you'll see, like, if you fish a tournament out there, the guys that know what they're doing, they're always moving. The first in water. Yep. The first two, three hours of the day, they are, they literally, you just, you just saw them get off pad, you know, and then now they're back on pad and like moving. And it's, <laughs> it's literally, it's just, you, you know, your spot, you know, the cast, you go make three, four, five casts. And if he's there, he's going to eat it. If he's not there, jet. Go you probably one. cycle it like five times through mm-hmm. the day too. Make yep. your five, man, you'd burn a lot of gas. But I'm just, I don't know anything about Tonka, but it can't be that big of a lake. No, it's, um. So it's essentially like a bunch of tiny lake, not tiny, but a bunch of lakes. Just when I say lakes, uh, see, I see you. Everybody, everywhere except Minnesota, they class they they size their lake based on acreage, mm-hmm. and like I have no concept of that in my head. Uh, but um, it's a bunch of lakes that are connected by channels, mm-hmm. man-made channels. So um, yeah, it just looks like this massive chain of lakes. But it- but they consider it one one lake, basically. Yep. Yeah. So all these little lakes that are connected, they call them bays. Hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. It's very interesting. Well, and and the cool thing about Tonka too is these because originally there I I'm I'm believing that they were originally all different lakes that are just dug out to connect. Each lake or each bay has its own uh, characteristic to it. Mm-hmm. The west end of the lake is dirty. The east end is clear. Uh, the the west end has a ton of rocks and the east end doesn't have well it has rocks but it's a different kind of rock you know it's not like super clean rock you know the west end has some grass but there are some areas where it's just dirty dirty mud and rock you know and and water clarity and yeah it, it you know if it if it's bright and sunny there's some bays that are better than other bays and if it's cloudy and windy there are some bays that are better than other bays you know so yeah it sounds like it'd be um, 
not so much a pain to figure out if there's so many different bays as it's mm-hmm. classified, but it definitely had to put your time in there to know the yeah. cycle, which mm-hmm. it goes with fishing in general. Right. So we do have a question in here from fishing the Southeast. Yeah. And uh, he wants to know how you like to approach and catch suspended fish. Man, suspended fish are like super, super tricky. Um, I think if they're deep, you know, so like uh, first thing that comes to mind is like uh, down in Smith Lake, Alabama, you know, spotted bass, that sort of stuff. Um, Man, I love catching them on a jerkbait. And you can, you can, you can slow, like you can just slow roll a jerkbait because it has such a crazy wide wobble to it. Um, You don't even need to jerk it per se. Mm and paddle tail swim baits you know um you can fish them any anywhere in the water column uh and i know guys that are are catching fish you know just vertical dropping if they're deep enough um if it's you know i don't i don't think especially here in minnesota we don't we don't deal with too much uh in terms of fish that are suspending because our water generally is not that deep um you know 25 feet is deep for us and generally, if they're that deep, they're relating to the bottom, you know, or they're they're on top of the weeds or they're right on the weed edge, you know. So um, we don't have to worry about that too much. But down south where you get those uh, big man-made reservoirs, I think that's where that comes into play more. And like I said, a jerkbait, um, you know, trying to run it down to where you're seeing them. And um, so, or or even, I guess, uh, like Lake Champlain, you know, I fish Champlain or you're drop shotting like 40 feet of water. And sometimes they're, they're down in 25, you know, and, uh, you can just drop shot on them, you know, but just hold that bait right in front of their face instead of letting it go all the way down. So eventually eat it. Yeah. And and that all sounds great to me. I, I personally, when I fish like suspended fish, the hardest part for me on here, and I I hate to interject here because this is about Trevor, right? Um, but on, Lake Erie suspended fish can be real funny because you never know really what they are until you, they bite it or react when you drop on them. Yeah. Just because we could, when you hit 40 foot or 30 foot, it could be a school of white bass. It could be walleye. It can be smallies. Mm-hmm. And you can usually tell if it's a walleye because if you hover it there or you drop it below, it won't move. Right. But the smallie will chase it instantly. Yeah. So they might not eat it, and then you can bring it up, and they'll chase it all the way to the boat. Yeah. Like they're the, the dumbest fish mm-hmm. alive. They're kind of like lake trout in a sense out in the bigger lakes because okay. they just chase and eat. That's but cool. um, like white perch and stuff or yellow perch, if you drop down there and you hold it, you'll just see a, you know, that perchy perch bite. But I almost always drop shot suspended yeah. fish because if you're good with your 2D, you can watch your bait drop down to them and see how they react. Right. And personally, I don't have any of the crazy electronics on my boat. Yeah. I have HCS Lawrence Lives, and I learned how to catch them on my 2D fishing suspended fish, which is fun. Yeah. But uh, 603 Bass here says, uh, Lakes region of New Hampshire and a lot of other areas in Vermont has some amazing deep waters to fish. Um, last six trips out, we were fishing 40 to 55 feet nonstop, but a Demiki rig was most effective. Sure. So I think that was what um, he was getting to in his point. But he also said he thought that you guys had much deeper water out in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So I think that was his follow-up point, which is pretty cool. Yeah. We, uh, I think, you know, when I went out to the St. Lawrence this past September, 
uh, and fished Ontario. That was the first time, you know, I really had to fish a lot of water deeper than 40 feet. And I mean, you're catching smallies and 60 foot of water, but they're all the way at the bottom too, which is crazy, you know, and you pull them up and they just inflate like a balloon. Oh, it's wild. Um, but 18 inch fish. That's this big around. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, he's like lopsided all up in the live well, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Fins are just like, I don't know what to do, (laughs) but, uh, I did, I did see a school in 50 foot and they were, they were up about 20 feet up. So they were like in 30, but it was 50 foot. And, uh, what I ended up doing was I pulled out a three quarter ounce white chatterbait mm-hmm. and I just, I, well, I saw them on live scope and I fired out past them. And I'm just like, I wonder what, I don't, I didn't know what kind of fish they were, you know? So I just start burning this chatterbait through them. And sure enough, as I see my chatterbait go through the school, there's like four of them that just tail it and just go you know, and I'm like, well, probably smallmouth, and sure enough, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like way too much fun. It's awesome when you when you can crack smallmouth on a bait casting rod. It's like thirty feet of water. Well, yeah. thirty over sixty, and they're probably like three and a half to four pounders. Yep. Probably every single one of them. So they just smoke the crap yep. out of it. Yep, it's awesome. Uh, so uh, 603 Bass says the deepest he caught one was on the edge of a drop at 65 yeah. foot. It's insane. I've yeah. I've only fished up there a couple times, but um, I think the deepest I got was right around there. But we actually caught it. When I hooked the fish, we were in 70 foot of water. Mm-hmm. And they were tight to the bottom, and I had yeah. no idea that's how deep we were. And sure. it was the same deal on the edge, but I, I was on the boat. I was on the side of the boat the way my buddy was drifting where I was in like 70 foot. So I'm sure it yeah. was that deep, but absolutely wild. Like yeah. hook them through them back instantly. Cause you don't want to fizz those yep. once they die instantly. Yeah. Poor things. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll kind of finish it up here shortly, but um, sure. the last question I got for you is what are your 2022 plans and in, into the future? Yeah. Um, so this year I'm not fishing the opens. Um, you know, I, I just, for, for my family, it's, uh, it's just to reprioritize and, uh, just take a step back. Uh, the opens will always be there. And, uh, I've, I've no doubt that I will continue to fish them in the future. Uh, but just right now, um, I just have some stuff that I need to tend to first. And, uh, and as far as other plans for this year, uh, probably just going to be guiding again, um, fishing local tournament trails here. Uh, we have the Denny's on Tonka, which is, one of the top trails here in Minnesota and those guys are all hammers. So, uh, it's, it's tough. You know, those guys, uh, Tonka is probably one of the most challenging lakes to fish in Minnesota in terms of consistently getting big bags. Uh, and so it's, uh, it keeps me on my toes and, you know, you can fish any side of the lake and it's, you know, you're fishing all kinds of different water. So, um, we'll just basically be focusing on that this year along with guiding and, yeah, that's the plan. So is your summer pretty booked up already for guide trips or are you not so much. No. Yeah, so, I I've got some uh some clients from last year that are, are booking again. Um, but you know, and generally, yeah, you know, I'm not sure how it is with you, but you know, I usually get booked like two weeks prior mm-hmm. to to when we go out. So I mean it 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 usually always ends up filling up, but you know, it's, it's kind of a waiting game, like, Oh, two weeks from now, I don't have anything going on. But then sure enough, like two days later, 
two or three people are reaching out to you. So uh, sorry, honey, I got to go on a guide trip again tomorrow. Right. <laughs> right. We can't grab lunch today on your exactly. lunch or something like. Yeah. yeah I, um. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like a lot of my clients from last year. Last year was my first year guiding on Lake Erie. Okay. And uh, almost all of my clients I had last year, thankfully, have rebooked for me mm-hmm. this year. So I have like the prime dates pretty much already filled, like yeah. my favorite times to fish Yep. besides the fall. Cause I won't start booking those until like July probably. Right. Just to keep it open. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a surreal feeling getting to go out and fish every day as a guide. Right. Because some days you're fishing, like, do you experience this? Some clients like want you to fish with them and then some are like, no, don't, don't fish at all. Yeah. Yeah. Most, so. most of my clients, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, go ahead and fish with us. But you know, I've had too many times where I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll make a cast, you know, and bam, it's a five and a half, you know, yeah. and it's like, Crap. I wish you guys would have caught that, you know? But Yeah. But it's crazy. Like just for them to see that fish, like sure. they get so excited. Yeah. And, but deep down inside from our standpoint we're like oh man we suck like why would we ever do that to our poor client but we almost had to look at it from like a beginning client standpoint right they're just thrilled to see fish yeah 100 so that they're there for the experience not even so much to catch fish but the overall experience yeah so then we get like diehard clients are like no let's go and just mash on as many heads as we can and you're like this is gonna be a fun day yeah i love those clients yeah and it allows you to experiment. I don't know if you do this as as well, but like I'll like if I get bid on something, I give that rod to somebody else. And so I'm like, you take this yep. and I'm gonna try and just keep experimenting until we can yeah. get like three or four different patterns going. Right. Well so. and also it helps <laughs> because it's kind of like pre fishing for your next clients a couple of days yeah. later too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you're you're always in tune of what's going yeah. on. Like yeah. I had a lot of waypoints on Erie going into last year, and I think I like quadrupled my waypoints sure. on my graph. Which I'm just like, this is I don't even know how I'm gonna break it down come spring because mm-hmm. I put my boat away little before Thanksgiving. I like shut it down for the year, so I yeah. don't even know what my graph looks like because I'm I didn't even go in and clean it up before I yeah. put my boat away. Yeah. So I'm like, oh boy, this is gonna be a mess. Yeah, all <laughs> all my Helix units are like erroring out saying i don't have enough space to put any more waypoints so i gotta transfer them all over to cards and split them up by lake or regions or do you clear your trails out after you get off the lake every time uh i i don't ever save them so they just automatically delete after like i don't know i i'll get an alert that says like your trail will uh record for another 30 minutes or something like that and then it just disappears like, great <laughs> so, I don't know. I've got waypoints, and generally, um, and I saw I saw you guys were talking yesterday on the other uh, the other channel, and uh, what you call it? I what I so you guys were talking about waypoint management and mm-hmm. just kind of understanding where what you guys do for waypoints. And with three sixty now, you know, well, I I don't know if you have three sixty on your boat. But, I do not know. So with three sixty now, or with the with the introduction of three sixty. You know, if I'm side scanning and I see this big area that looks really good, rather than mark every single rock on there or whatever, or everything that looks good, I just put a waypoint like right in the center of the whole thing. That way, all I need to do is come and put my 360 down on there. 
And it's almost like I'm fishing new water again. So I don't get stuck trying to fish a spot on a spot. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Cause if you, if you pull up to a waypoint and you're like, Oh, I know there's three boulders, one here, one there, and one over here, you know, and you mark all three boulders, then you get too stuck just focusing on those three boulders and you don't fish the other stuff around and where I'd rather just put one dot. And as soon as I get there, I drop the 360. Like, Oh, there's something that looks kind of good over there. You know, we'll try that one. And then from yeah. there, we'll try there. So just yeah. little things. And I was talking about that last night. Like everybody's in this panoptics craze and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Awesome technology. But like the rudimentary style of my fishing I would benefit more from 360 because I'm more of a, I'm not so much, I'm a visual fisherman, but I'm not a visual fisherman. Yeah. I want to look at what the target I'm fishing is. Yeah. I don't care so much about how the fish are reacting because in my opinion, smallmouth are going to eat regardless. Yeah. You just got to get the right thing in front of them. Cycle four baits through there. They're probably going to eat one of them. So usually I'll, I'll comment on that. And I a hundred percent agree with you. If you told me I could keep either 360 or live scope on my boat, I'm keeping 360. Um, The only thing I would say is when we fished up in Oneida this past year, I could see where the rock piles are, but I didn't know if there was fish on it or not. And so the way the bite ended up being, it was such a dead stick bite for me that I would, you know, I would throw out a rock pile that I had marked or I see on 360, I'd throw at it. I'd get into the rocks and I'd feel it and I would just kill my bait. And I'll you would wait a little orb. <laughs> yeah. You would wait for like two minutes and then it would just go tick. And there he was. But if you had three, six, or if you had live scope, you could see the, you could see the rock pile on three sixty, and then you could turn live scope right to it. And if you see a fish there, or at least if you throw and you see your bait and then you see a fish rise up, then you know there's a fish and you're like, okay, now I'm going to sit here and wait. But if there was no fish, then you can just get on and move to the next one. You don't have to sit and soak it for two minutes if you don't have live scope and you're soaking it where there's no fish, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it um, makes you more efficient. Absolutely. So, but I mean, it's understand. I guess my whole point of this is if you understand and know what you're looking at with the technology on your boat, yeah. you can be almost as efficient as somebody that's yeah, running live sure. scope because yeah. I mean, one of the best anglers in the world was kicking everybody's can with 360 the last couple of years while everybody's mm-hmm. running live, live scope and Brandon yeah. Polinick. Yeah. So, but he had that thing so dialed that he yeah. knew what the fish were doing just by looking at his sure. 360, which is just mind blowing to me as yeah. somebody who, who hasn't really ever used it. And I have, buddies who love it and i have buddies who absolutely can't stand it and i think Mm -hmm. it's just um understanding the technology and how beneficial it can be for you and everybody's different so um in a perfect world i would have every piece of technology i could on my boat but at that point you're sending 92 different bings to these fish and they're probably not going to eat so (laughs) for sure one and i mean i tell you we uh i had a a client out last year and uh, we're on Mille Lacs, you know, and I was just throwing a Ned rig and I was throwing a, uh, just your standard turd, you know, 2.75. And I was like, live scope fishes, you know, 40 feet in front of me, fire it out. You could watch that little Ned rig go down and it landed right on his nose and he just jet out of there. And I was mm-hmm. like, what, you know, and I did that and it happened like three or four times. I'm like, are they scared of my bait? Like, what's the deal? You know? 
So I pull off that turd and I, I used a little turd craw instead. And sure enough, find the next fish straight down. As soon as that bait hit the ground, boom, picked it up, you know, went to another fish, boom, same thing. And I'm like, huh, if I didn't see this fish react, if I didn't see those other fish react the way they did, I would have never guessed to switch, you know? And And sometimes that, that could be, it's not, that could be, that is the benefit of having live scope, you know? It's real time data is what it comes down from an analytical standpoint. It's real time data. And you have to know how to under, you have to have the know, know with all to understand what's going on. Some people are just yeah. like, oh, that fish didn't want to eat and they'll do it all day. Yeah. But it's understanding the experience on the water and knowing when to right. make that change. Yep. And shoot, you could have made that change and that fish could have bolted out there twice as fast. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's just wild. Um, yeah. But like some guys like Patrick Walters on the Elite Series truly showed everybody what live scope can do when yeah. it comes to jerk bait fishing which is yeah. just crazy yeah he can catch him <laughs> yeah that's for sure so my favorite live i have two really fun live scope stories one i caught a fish in a tournament with dustin Demarion this past mm-hmm. september on erie and i got one in the boat and i throw it in the live well call it out call out like a smaller one and i get back on his bow and there's a smallie well there's an orb we didn't know what it was at first like mm-hmm. 10 feet below the boat. So I think it followed the other one up and just yeah. sat. And he's like, God, ah, that's, well, I was like, is that a fish? He's like, I don't know. It, it looks like it because it's live scope. Yeah. So I just open my bail and I drop it down on the fish. Well, the orb and all of a sudden my drop shot goes by. So I see my, my flatworm and the drop shot go down yeah. and that fish bolts it right to the bottom. And 58 foot of water hits the bomb, close the bail, my rods are bent. I'm like, that's yeah. just dumb. It was almost a five pounder. Sure. Like, that's just wild. Yeah. And, and then the other one was throwing an A rig and okay. throwing the A rig out like 80 feet mm-hmm. in front of the boat and pulling it back because we can use five hook points in New York. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you just see like a line of orbs come up <laughs> off the bottom and like that's chase cool. the A rig. Sure. So you, I wish you could have got it on film because you have this A-rig and you have like 33 and a half to five pounders chasing this thing. And that <laughs> one of them will like jet out from the pack and eat it. And they would all That's scatter. Awesome. And then next cast, the same thing. Like you could never double up on uh, A-rigs, doubles yeah. and triples with smallies. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's just a mess. It's yeah, an yeah. absolute mess. Because yeah. they each one of them wants to go a different way. Yeah. So they'll jump. And if you get like a four and a three and a five pounder on, they all jump a different way and the arms sure. break and it's an absolute mess. Do you, so yeah, so they do they break those A rig arms pretty easy? Yeah, it depends on which one you're throwing. Yeah. Um like a flash mob junior will break really easily. Sure. Um out here in New York, there's a company called Brown Dog Tackle, which pro- people will probably get mad at me for mentioning that. But yeah. um they make a really good a rig they're like 35 bucks a piece though sure. i think or 28 dollars. you just raise prices because everything's going up yep and then uh hog farmers makes a really good yeah. one that's a little more durable as well yeah, and i throw a hog farmer yeah they're good yeah we have the we have a one hook rule here in minnesota so i mean you've got five wires with four dummies and then the middle one you just make it bigger or change the color on it they what a fun color. bite though yeah oh yeah it's like a it's like a train. Yeah. <laughs> so hits it like a train. So, well, um, anything else you want to hit on here before I hit you with the last question, Trevor, and let you get out of here for the night? 
No, man. I like I said, I just appreciate you reaching out to me, having me on the show. It was, it was a yeah. blast. I mean, thank you. you know, anytime I can hang out with somebody and chat fishing is a good time. So, well, maybe we'll uh, we'll work on maybe at the end of summer, going into fall after guide season, and see sure. how things went. But yeah. um, all right. So for the last question, this is our favorite one that we ask everybody new to the show. It's Bailey's brainchild, and he he'll probably ask it a hundred times better than I will. But um. You're sitting down for dinner and you have steak and beer and you can bring three friends along, right? And these three friends can be present day fishing industry, non-fishing industry, or back like 500 years before Christ. Who are the three people you're bringing to your steak and beer dinner and why? Oh, man. Steak and beer dinner. (laughs) Holy buckets. Man. Yeah. Talk about blindsiding you oh yeah that's why Uh, we don't that's why we don't warn you because one the reaction and two everybody has like the craziest answers and we just love it so sure uh first person that came to mind is robert downey jr fantastic love me some rdj um because obviously uh iron man i'm a huge iron man fan and he's he's tony stark you know and i think he's a he's a phenomenal actor he's probably one of my favorites um in his background too like to get before he became an actor his story if people Mm -hmm. don't know it is absolutely awesome it's the american dream right you if you put your mind to something you can do anything you want because that guy had a pretty bad upbringing yeah for sure all right so rdj man who else would i bring man it's it's got to be some Vikings player. <laughs> I love the Minnesota Vikings. Um, it'd probably be Randy Moss. Got to give me some uh, straight bass, homie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's and, incredible. Yeah, uh, some I guess Moss. he fishes too, from yeah. my understanding, oh, yeah. which is yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's all about yeah, he's all about bass fishing. Um, steak and dinner, uh, steak and beer. Man. Oh, this is hard. Does it usually take people long to answer this? Oh question? yeah, hundred okay. percent. So, oh man, awkward silence for fifteen minutes while I try to figure out the third person. It could be anybody. Yeah. Um. Let's see. So I got Randy Moss. It could be fishing industry. It could be anybody from like family lineage, like anyone. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't have anybody fancy in my family. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I need somebody funny. Who would be funny? Moss would be funny. Um. Man, I think I think fishing industry and and some the person that keeps coming to mind is Aaron Martins. I love Aaron, dude. Yeah. He's he's such a good dude. Um, so yeah, I'd probably go Aaron Martins on that. Um, I feel like you could resonate with the uh, other two guys that you chose there too. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Aaron, uh, Aaron, Aaron's a good dude, man. He he really is. Um, I I only got to know him. Uh, through you know the the classic and and that whole deal and he was one of the guys that was really nice to me after winning the college series and you know 
when I met him, I met him at the classic too. And we, we kept in touch here and there, but like you said, he's as good as, as everybody says he is, you know, in terms of the kind of person he is and obviously his fishing as well. Um, but yeah, if, if I had to pick one from the fishing industry, it'd probably be Aaron just cause it'd be a great dinner. Yeah. It'd be a lot of fun. I, I mean, I, like I said, Aaron is Aaron's so goofy, whatever comes right here, comes right out of yeah. his mouth. <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> like, there's like no filter, but, uh, but that's what makes him awesome. Did you ever see the movie Tropic Thunder by any oh, yeah. chance with Robert yeah. Downey Jr.? Oh, yeah. Like that yeah. Robert Downey Jr. at that uh, <laughs> at that dinner yeah. table would be hilarious. Yeah. Like, oh man, that movie is wild. But uh, what do you mean, it, you people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, like talk about some movie a movie that probably wouldn't be able to be made today. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's wild. Yeah, so. But uh, Trevor, thank you again for uh, yeah. taking the time out. Uh, we went a little past an hour, so I greatly uh, appreciate you uh, hanging yeah. out. Best of luck in 2022. Hope to see you back in the Opens in 2023. When you fun. come through New York, uh, let us know. And I will. Well, uh, Bailey lives like 10 minutes from me, and we'll get out fishing one day yeah. if you got a spare day. It was sure. fun. Yeah. So, um, but for now, man, stay healthy cool. and safe. And you, you have a good evening and stay All warm. Right. All right. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Yeah. My pleasure, man. You have All a right. good one. Yep. Yep. You too. Bye now. So thanks everybody for tuning in. It was awesome getting to know Trevor's backstory here and everything that he went through. 12 tournaments, Bassmaster Classic. Talk about living the absolute dream. Um, thank you for the couple questions and comments that we got coming in here through the YouTube and Facebook. You guys are awesome. If you um, didn't already, please make sure if you're feeling generous to give us a like and a share. Um, this will be out on MP3 tomorrow morning, and it will always be able to be streamed here on YouTube. So for now, everybody have a good day. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.